I think this book is a platform for, for I hope, for as many pre-hospital clinicians as, as are interested in reading it. What we would like it to be is a, is a book that sits on people's shelves that they can dip into when they've got a specific interest and that, uses a, uh, that then uses a platform to go and, and read further. Welcome back to the World Extreme Medicine Podcast with myself, Owen Walker. In this episode, we're going to examine the second edition of the ABC of Prehospital Emergency Medicine with Claire Basenko. So what we want to do in the podcast is just look at the recent changes to the newly revised second edition of the manual. So we're going to examine some of the updates to the FEM covered in the book and the recent evidence-based practice and expert opinion that encompasses FEM training curriculum. So we're going to look at three domains that the updated edition addresses, which are the operational, clinical and system considerations of FEM. Some of the other aspects we're going to look at also include the monitoring and ultrasound and indeed the recent changes to principal management of medical trauma and psychiatric emergencies. So we're finally going to examine the changes to mass casualty and CBRN incidents as well. So to do this, I've got Claire Basanko with me. Claire Basanko is a FEM consultant with Devon's Air Ambulance and trained in the Midlands. Claire also works as an emergency medicine consultant in the South of England. And she's also a co-host of the FEMcast podcast and a contributor to the new edition of the book. Welcome, Claire, to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Claire, I just wonder if we could start by getting you to speak to these three domains that the that the new manual addresses. So the, the operational, the clinical and the system based updates. If you could just maybe speak to sort of the main facets of each within the latest edition. Yeah, of course. So thanks so much for giving us the opportunity to um, talk about the changes to the book. It's been a bit of a work in progress for several years. Uh, I think that Tim and Matt had recognised the need to update the manual a little bit before they managed to get it done um, and dusted. And obviously the COVID pandemic has had an impact on our authors um, and us as clinicians. Everybody who's contributed is um, you know, a, a clinician currently working in a health setting somewhere in, in the world. So it has taken us a little bit longer than we intended, um, but that has given us an opportunity to try and bring it really up to date. Um, so the key kind of sections, as you say, are the general kind of overview in terms of principles of delivering pre-hospital medicine, the logistics, things like dispatch, the different ways that's done around the world. Um, we touch on the differences between um, air transport and land um, uh, transport and accessing different um, incidents via those different platforms. We also talk a bit about retrieval, although we just touch on that because we understand there's a whole ABC textbook on that topic itself. Um, and then we've got a big section on clinical. And that was one of the main reasons for doing this new version is that we really needed to update the clinical practice. So much has changed um, in our practice over the last 20, 10 to 20 years since the first edition was written. And, uh, you know, in the forward, we make reference to the fact that uh, the specialty is developing and changing so quickly that the you know the clinical practice has really changed in that time. And I'm sure your listeners and the readers of the book will recognise that. Um, and then we also wanted to add in really some key clinical areas that had been missed in the first edition. Um, we particularly wanted to make sure that we covered a bit more of medical emergencies, although it's such a huge topic, it's really difficult to pick and choose which bits to include. Um, and also psychiatric emergencies elements, which had been a bit um, neglected in the first edition. 
Um, and then we've also added some additional elements in terms of how we practice pre-hospital medicine, not just what we do. Um, so um, human factors, elements, um, some clinical governance things, bits about research. Um, so hopefully we've brought together both an update and made sure all the clinical content is current, um, but also added in those areas that perhaps have been a bit uh, left out in the earlier version. That's fantastic. And as you say, Claire, what really underpins our practice these days and the, and the shift is that shift to clinical governance and acknowledgement of human factors and the interplay of human factors. But something you mentioned there, actually, which is really interesting, is this is the change in empirical evidence and research. And as you said, it, it, it really evolves over time. So over the last few years, there re really has been a, a, a groundswell of, uh, of empirical research and, and actually some real seminal papers. Could you maybe speak to some of the seminal papers or studies that the team have included in, in this version? Yeah, of course. I think it's fair to say, isn't it, that pre-hospital emergency medicine you know, 10, 20 years ago was based on extension of what we had learned in hospital, an extension of military practice into the pre-hospital field uh, in, in the civilian setting. And we based it on good principles and what we thought was correct rather than necessarily having that scientific basis. And, and I'm not a researcher, but I'm very happy to, to know people that are and who've really contributed hugely in this field. So the um, extrication chapter, for example, is heavily based on the work of the Exit Project, um, which um, obviously one of my co-editors, Tim Nutbeam, has, has been um, driving. We've also gone into, we've mentioned Airways 2, we've talked about paramedic series of trials, the crash series of trials. So all those kind of really big, impressive pieces of work that have contributed to our knowledge in this area are in there. We've also tried as much as possible to reference um, guidelines, which in, the, in turn will have used those um, primary evidence um, research um, to contribute to those guideline developments. So you know, things like the um, major incident work that Jamie Vassello has, has been involved in and again has, has contributed to the chapter in the book, just to try and bring as much current evidence um, up into the paper. Now, I, we know um, that almost the minute the thing is published, it becomes out of date. And I'm sure there'll be bits and pieces that people spot and think, oh, that's not quite right. And we, you know, we, we've tried as much as possible to, to get the stuff as current as we can. And, and within each chapter, there is further reading so people can go away um, and look at those key things that they want to know more about to inform their practice. So looking at the utility of, because as you said, the, the, Fem is an evolving uh, speciality, and within that, there's there's been real some nuances and changes within the monitoring and or ultrasound uh, utility of ultrasounds, the application of ultrasound in practice, and it really is still an evolving and growing aspect of fem. Could you maybe speak to how you've reflected this and and or uh, mentioned this within the updated edition? Yeah, of course. So we had some excellent authors helping us with the ultrasound element because I think, you know. My experience of using ultrasound in the pre-hospital um, arena is relatively limited. Personally, I, I've seen people who are superb at it and you know, have clearly got the expertise to deliver a really high standard. Um, and so we went to people who, who use it frequently, who've got expertise in its um, use, both pre-hospital and in hospital, so that they can really provide us with that full gamut of um, potential 
strategies that you could use from an ultrasound point of view. So we have broken it down to an ABCD format so that hopefully people can think about how it could complement each element of the primary survey. Um, we've talked about those, we've tried to give some useful images and we've been very grateful to all the contributors who've who've supported that. And we it's interesting, one of the other things that you you suggested that we discussed today was, you know, whether or not we've got multimodal um, digital content to support the book. And we talked about doing that for ultrasound, but just never quite, quite got there. So one of the things we're doing, if you'll forgive the plug, is um, with Femcast, we're um, using our authors to record some podcasts that complement the book. Um, so although that's not a formal relationship between the the book and, and, the, and the podcast, it does give us an opportunity to go into some of the topics in more depth. Um, so if, if anybody wants for the older someone, for example, we've a great interview with Tim Harris and some links within the podcast content that then kind of show some digital imagery, which is more useful. You know, moving images are always better than stills, aren't they? So, you know, you could write a whole book <laughs> on um, on ultrasound and its utility in, in the emergency setting and point of care ultrasound. And indeed, you know, those those texts exist. So we've just tried to pick out some samples. It's, it's really difficult when you're writing a book like this to provide people with the breadth of the specialty as it was. You know, we already went over the number of words and pages that, that the um, publishers wanted. So it was really difficult to kind of cover the breadth and give each topic um the uh, the time and the space, if you like, that it deserved versus trying to keep it concise and accessible to everybody. So, you know, time will tell whether we've achieved that or not. But yeah, the ultrasound chapter is really interesting, If especially if you've done none before. There probably are going to be some ultrasound experts out there who go, oh, you know, you haven't really you haven't really done it justice. Um, and, you know, that's the tightrope that we've we've tried to walk. Really interesting with a, a book like this encompassing such a large domain of information you know, that you know, principal of medicine is is such encompassing of so many different specialities that as you said claire actually it becomes an exercise of triage information triage actually to try and be concise and, and pare down information and actually that becomes harder sometimes than generating the information in the first place or indeed the updates in the first place because you're right you tr what you're trying to do is come into land on some of the seminal points and or updates but you know how deep do you go it's 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 a really difficult cutoff actually and something you were saying before around and i'd like just to dig in into psychiatric emergencies because that really has, has changed the way we deal with them maybe indeed the way uh, they're categorized and and indeed the prevalence of of psychiatric emergencies post-pandemic could you speak to this the psychiatric chapter within the book yeah so we um we were when we sought our authors for this um, edition, we tried really hard to find people that were um, experts in the field in pre-hospital medicine. So again, kind of whereas before we were bringing hospital experts perhaps to deliver the content, um, to try and make it very, very relevant to pre-hospital practitioners, we, we've sought authors that work in the field. So our authors for the psychiatric and the capacity chapters are all um, paramedics working in pre-hospital um, medicine in the UK. So although obviously within that particular um, topic area, there is differences internationally. And that's, again, another challenge, which maybe we can come back to. But yeah, so the key for this was to make sure that we gave people the information they needed about different psychiatric presentations, but not in a diagnostic 
diagnosis way. So what we didn't want to do is have a long list of diagnoses and explain what they were. We wanted to try and make it more the approach as you walk into a scene with an agitated person and not necessarily focus on their diagnosis, but think about how we could look after them effectively. Because sometimes the diagnosis isn't key to looking after the patient. So that's what we've tried to do with that chapter. Um, and again, uh, we'll see what people think. But but it was very, very definitely uh, a key difference to how um, textbooks might generally have been written um, when you're looking at, you know, if you look at psychiatric textbook, there's a chapter on all the different diagnoses. With this one, we talk about patients who are in mental health crisis rather than necessarily each diagnosis ind individually. So looking at the trauma aspect of the of the books, the trauma chapter, could you, as we both know, the trauma care has evolved over time. Could you maybe speak to sort of the areas you've decided to shine a light on within the trauma chapter? Yeah, so we've we've um we we changed the format of the chapters a little bit um to try to again, I suppose a bit like I was saying with the psychiatric stuff, to try and kind of focus on the approach to the patient rather than necessarily the diagnosis. So in the A, B and C chapters, we've combined the assessment and management of those areas. So circulation is obviously going to be a biggie when it comes to trauma. Um, and so a lot of the uh, kind of discussions around uh, management of circulatory compromise and collapse are within the circulation chapter, which hopefully then is relevant to all of the different injuries you might then see in trauma. Um, so we've got kind of that ABC section, if you like, which is quite heavy. There's a lot in there. Um, and then each body system, we then kind of divide up to, to talk more specifically about each injury. And we've tried to structure those chapters similarly. So each one has the kind of um, same same structure within it so that hopefully you know, there's a pattern as you read the book. If you do choose to read, say, the section on traumatic injuries, it's not it's easy reading. Hopefully it's not too uncomfortable with different styles, because obviously with different authors, you have different writing styles. So, again, that's a job that as editors, we've tried to make it sort of accessible and readable in that in that way. Um, and then, yeah, we've just tried within each chapter to pick out some key um, injury patterns. So um, within head injuries, for example, we've talked about um, the impact brain apnea um, sort of presentation, which I think has become something that we're, actually, we're all much, much more aware of in the last 10 to 15 years of practice. That was something that, you know, hadn't really been talked about before. So that's in there. Um, there's some... Um, the, the sort of changes or well, not really the changes, but but kind of a, the management of pelvic injuries and the use of pelvic binders is a really interesting one, because, again, that's quite different across the globe. And although this book is clearly a UK um, written and published um, um, material, it is it is read you know internationally so we wanted to try and make it relevant to all of our readers um across across the globe but equally you know trying to give again a balance um between what what's useful for people so we talked a bit more about pelvic binders and how they might be used and where they are useful again i think that that has gone you know, swayed from nobody using them to everybody using them for everything to now a bit more of a nuanced approach so we've tried within each of those sort of injury segments, if you like, to give people a bit of the pathophysiology for each one. So you'll find the Monroe Kelly doctrine and dermatomes and myotomes in the head injury and spinal injury chapters respectively. But then the sort of practical management of conditions and specific presentations within those areas. So looking at 
the adage of of the changes within mass casualty management and SIBO. And like you said, there's been some, I, I guess, some seminal events in, in the past few years, actually, which have has really changed the, the the way we focus and look at mass casualty management. Could you maybe speak to how you approach that within the within the new edition? Yeah, so we were really lucky to to um, have Jamie and Damien on board with those chapters. I think it was really useful um, from the major incident point of view to be, you know, the chapter was being written as the papers were being written and published. So, you know, as you know, for, for some of this stuff, it's really only just gone into the, the literature this year and yet it's still in the book. So we were really pleased to be able to do that because you can imagine how quickly this would have been out of date if we hadn't had MPTT 24, for example, or the 10 second triage stuff. And happily that's in. Um, so that was key, I think. What, what we obviously, as we were finishing the, the version of the book, um, they were they were having the inquests around the Manchester Arena bombing bombings, <clears throat> and I, I think we've all got stuff to learn from that. Um, and that, you know, ideally, I suppose we would have had reference specifically to some of the outcomes from that in the in the book, but we haven't we haven't got that specifically. So I think that's an area we all have some some learning to do, don't we, with with regard to that particular. Um, challenging circumstance. I think we've given people an introduction to the subject that's hopefully useful. I think we've given people the basic knowledge, um, but I suspect major incident is one of those topic areas that we all need to have additional learning around um, for our our practice. And that needs to be bespoke as well, depending on our, our area of the country or indeed the world. From a CBRN point of view, um, William and Niall have done a great job of distilling the changes around decontamination, particularly. I think um, the the differences between dry decontamination and wet decontamination have really changed. I think ambulance services in the past have had these big tents that they put up and showers and all of that kind of stuff. And I think increasingly we're learning that actually much, much simpler maneuvers are um, appropriate. And that was a a key um, thing that we wanted to get into the book. And hopefully we've covered that in... um, in enough detail that if you haven't had additional training, um, you've got a really good idea of the principles required. It's really interesting you say that actually, Claire, because I think something you notioned towards earlier um, with the triage, 10 second triage, and indeed with decontamination, and maybe with quite a few different principles, a real theme that comes through in Hospital care is that actually the the the, the basics work well, and and there is some fundamental tenets of the basics within triage, within decontamination, within the prin- basic principles of trauma care. That actually, unless the basics have been done well, the advanced the advanced interventions won't really be effective, or longevity of of the interventions won't be effective. And I think I think that's a general theme within hospital care. Actually, is 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 ensuring that the basics are done well. I'm sure, and I'm sure there's an inference of that throughout the book, actually. But looking at so. We spoke earlier about this multimodal engagement with 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 the book, and interesting because you say, and it's absolutely key, key to acknowledge that people consume information differently these days, and people do you know listen to a lot of podcasts whilst commuting to work, or indeed whilst they're maybe at work doing different things, and um, and so actually the way we engage with and assimilate information has has changed. So it's fantastic that you are doing this this series of podcasts because what I've found in the past, and I'd like to get your thoughts on this, is actually assimilate 
accumulation of information doesn't always occur on first pass. So actually we might read the book or glance at a chapter once, but actually true assimilation of knowledge sometimes takes two or three engagements with that, with that information to, to really consume it. Um, and then to be able to make sure it changes practice. So you've, you've kind of got this almost subconscious revelation of the information that's actually, you can then regurgitate or re-emphasize when you're on scene as a senior clinician. Could you maybe speak to this sort of multimodal engagement that we see these days and, and how it sort of helps buffer the, the, the written text? Yeah, you know, I think this book is a platform for, for I hope, for as many pre-hospital clinicians as as are interested in reading it. I um, don't imagine many people have read it cover to cover. Uh, I read the first edition a couple of times cover to cover in the preparation for the second edition. And, um, you know, that's not what it's designed for. OK, so that's not what, what we would like it to be, is it is a book that sits on people's shelves that they can dip into when they've got a specific interest. And that uses a that then uses a platform to go and read further. I think you know we clearly have written it in mind with people who are doing advanced practice um, learning. So whether that's for the the diploma in immediate medical care, if you're moving from a an in hospital specialty to an out of hospital specialty, if you're um, new to the field of pre hospital medicine, that's where we see it sitting with some. Um, tasters of the more advanced practice in there, but clearly not covering, uh, like I've already alluded to, really every detail of every possible possible presentation. Um, and I think what we've tried to do is make those it very accessible from that point of view. So hopefully it's readable from, on a chapter by chapter basis. You know, if you want to read about abdominal injuries, for example, it's like four or five pages. You know, it's accessible, it's easy to read. There's pictures, and then you've got the additional reading and the further reading um, to to go to. In terms of podcasts. You know, I first got into doing podcasts when I moved to Devon and realized that you couldn't have face-to-face educational meetings anymore because we live like three hours from parts of Devon. And it's not practical for people to meet together, sadly, like I would have done when I was in the Midlands, where you could get 50 or 100 people at an educational evening. That just isn't practical in this part of the world, particularly. Um, and, and you know, Tim and I were having these interesting conversations about clinical practice and being like, well, hang on a minute, let's record this and somebody else might want to listen to it. Turns out um, some people did. So that was great. And I think like I said earlier, the book has given us that springboard to access some really knowledgeable people who are keen to talk about their areas of interest. And so we record the podcasts almost as an extension of our interest. You know, they like talking about it. We like hearing about it. And, and we just record it and put it out there for people. Um, and then I think the blog posts that go with the podcast, again, give that opportunity to link to other stuff. And there are so many fantastic resources out there, but finding them in this sort of sea of information is increasingly difficult. And what I hope we do with Femcast um, is to give people the guarantee, if you like, of quality. So by putting it on the blog post, we're saying, listen, we've looked at this, we think it's accurate, we think it's reliable information, you know, please go and look at it. And we use, you know, the places that people are familiar with life in the fast lane and the recess room. And there are some really superb, aren't there? Um, places there um, to, to look. So, yeah, I completely agree with you. Most people need different ways of learning and um, trying to give everybody what they need um, is a challenge, you know, and we all 
um, are limited by our time. You know, so so both the people who provide the educational content and the people who access it have got limited time. So trying to provide it in a format and a way that people find easy to use is is key. So we've started to come into land on the conversation, uh, Claire. I just wondered, we did touch on before the sort of human factors and system-based approaches within the book. And actually, as you said, it's it's become a sem- human factors have become a seminal piece, really. Um, I, th- I think that they have been seminal for, for, for years now, but acknowledgement that the fundamental prerequisite of that is patient safety actually and it belies patient safety and and i think that comes to the fore as as we both know within pre-hospital care because it is so variable the 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 environment is variable the noise levels the stress levels the um interaction with kit can vary um but we need to still come to predefined endpoints could you could you maybe speak to the human factors piece within the new edition yeah so i mean i think this is a fascinating um part of my practice and um, the more I learn and you know hear about it, the more I think, well, this is really the place where the most benefits um, come to lie. So from a clinical skills point of view, yes, there are certain skills you have to hold. Um, but the way you deliver those skills is is really the bit that you can amend and adapt. And, you know, human factors has really grown. I think the aviation industry has, you know, traditionally been the model to which we should aspire. But increasingly, we've understood that actually mm, we're such a different system to the aviation industry that it's not necessarily a case of lifting it up on block and moving it into our practice. So what we've done with the, both the chapters on um, human factors and human performance is to, to engage with clinicians pre-hospital clinicians um, who understand how this slots into pre-hospital practice rather than, you know, taking the ready-made version off the shelf. Um, And these are probably two of the chapters that I would say are just worth sitting down and reading. Um, You know, they, we, I'm super proud of these two chapters. I think our authors have done an absolutely brilliant job. I'm very grateful to them for putting them together, but they've really come up with, for me, even a new version of what we've heard before on this topic with relation to pre-hospital medicine. Um, and I hope that our, our readers will find those really stimulating and interesting and sort of discussion worthy. Um, we've got, we've already lined up one of the author groups um, to do a podcast. So we'll get that out hopefully fairly shortly. Um, and uh, we'll, we'll try line the other one up as well because if we can start to within our organizations or within our systems understand and learn from these principles you know, the more we can do that the safer our patients become and that's where i think clinical governance comes in as well in that you know i understand completely that clinical governance has traditionally been one of those uh, topic areas that people are like oh god i've got to do clinical governance but for me clinical governance is about being an excellent um clinician giving your patient the best chance of great outcomes so why would you not care about it right so if you if it's boring that's because it's not being delivered in the right way and we need to really think about that bit that's what makes us excellent for me now yes i need to practice my intubation skills and i need to think about my surgical skills absolutely i do and i need to make sure i'm up to date with the current clinical practice but what makes me excellent i think is the way i deliver those skills so finally, Claire, just looking at any other re- re- points really around, are there, are there any other aspects you'd like to highlight for listeners um, about the new edition? So I think I just wanted to touch on the medical emergencies chapter, because that, again, was one that we kind of overhauled quite significantly for this chap for this edition. Um, it's long. 
there's lots in it. Um, each topic area is relatively briefly covered, but again, we've tried to make it very pre-hospital bespoke. Um, so it'd be interesting to hear what people have to say about it and think whether think whether we've got it right or not. I think, you know, we're already looking ahead to how would we change this edition? Because that's what happens, isn't it? As soon as you produce something you're like, oh, might change that, might change this. Um, so I think we'll be really keen to hear from the readers about what they think of it. You know, go on Amazon or wherever and give us a review or write something on your uh, website. And we'll be keen to get people's feedback because, um, you know, this is uh, a textbook that we really want people to find valuable and to help inform their practice. And so the more we can get feedback from the readers to improve it, then then the better it will be. Person, thank you for the last half an hour. It's it's been fantastic just to go through some of these fundamental changes and indeed updates to the to the textbook. So uh, so thank you. And I think what we'll do, Claire, is we'll put links in the show notes to uh, indeed the second edition of the ABC of Principal Emergency Medicine, and um, and you can find it there. But Claire, thank you again for your time today. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the episode. Please feel free to rate, review and subscribe on whichever platform you're listening to. Please also head over to the World Extreme Medicine website where you can find more engaging content on extreme medicine webinars and indeed the collection of courses from our global network, including humanitarian, disaster relief, expedition, space, military, tactical and performance medicine. Thanks again.